Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! It may be because he's Swiss, I don't know, in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walk and whip your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Happy summer, folks, and welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for June 21st, 2016. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and today we're kicking off the summer season with a bang with an electric episode of WrestleRant Radio. Here today talking primarily about Sunday's loaded Money in the Bank pay-per-view, a very newsworthy night in Las Vegas, a very enjoyable edition of Monday Night Raw from just last night, and everything else in between, also kicking off with a few other news and notes from the world of wrestling. Um, but yeah, pretty stacked last couple of days. Like I said, Money in the Bank on Sunday, very good Raw on Monday. The news that the draft will be held on the June, or rather July 19th episode of SmackDown, the very first night that SmackDown is moving to Tuesdays and going live. It's going to be great. I'll be talking all about that in a few moments, as well as the Stone Cold podcast from right after Raw last night, only on the WWE Network, Stone Cold Steve Austin, sitting down with a phenomenal one, AJ Styles. Great podcast I'll be talking all about in in just a few minutes as well. Um, But before we kick it off here, just one little note. I did talk about this very briefly about a month ago when the news of the brand split first, you know, was revealed and it really kind of sent the, uh, it sent the wrestling world into a tailspin in regards to what's going to happen to Raw and SmackDown and the draft and the brand split, blah, blah, blah. So I did mention too, a SmackDown moving to Tuesdays and it's, it's been official for about a month now. But now that we know the draft will be held on July 19th, that first Tuesday that SmackDown goes live and it first really kicks off this new era for the blue brand, like I said, I did tease the possibility of this happening about a month ago, but it seems like that week will be the first week that WrestleRant Radio for the first time in three years, in the first, you know, in the last three years that I've been doing this show since 2013, will be moving to Thursdays. Now, I don't really see the point in doing the show, continue to do the show on Tuesdays, If we have the pay-per-views and Raws, which is great, which I always talk about here in the show anyway, I don't really talk about, uh, I don't really talk about SmackDown at all here on WrestleRant Radio. I know when I was back up at school, Tom and I, Tommy Sharp and I would talk all about SmackDown and mostly NXT on our WWEC radio podcast, which we put on the back burner for right now because I'm not up at school. I don't really see him all that. I haven't seen him at all, obviously, since I left campus. So we're going to obviously be picking that up again when I go back to school. What day of the week? I have no idea with SmackDown moving to uh, with Tuesdays now and NXT still on Wednesdays. I have no idea how that's going to work out. But WrestleRant Radio, though, um, what I'm probably going to do, like I said about a month ago in this first thing we really all came about, I'm probably going to start recording the show now on Thursdays as opposed to Tuesdays, like I said. So in that case, I don't know what we're going to do for WWEC Radio. But in this case, I'll probably be talking about pretty much everything. Instead of just Raw and sometimes the pay-per-views and, of course, whatever else happens in the week of wrestling, um, I'll be talking about NXT and SmackDown. I really want to talk about SmackDown. I still watch SmackDown to this day, and it's a really, you know, it's really come a long way, in my opinion, since the start of 2016 uh, on the USA Network, Mauro and Long commentary. It's, it's really had this 
rejuvenated feel to it. But now with the brand split coming back and SmackDown going live, it's really now more important than ever. It's almost going to be an equivalent to Raw, or at least WWE is going to try to portray it that way. So I don't know about in the ratings, but they're going to at least try to make it as equal to Raw as possible. That being said, uh, so that being said, I do really want to talk about it. So WrestleRant Radio, I know I don't know if we're going to move from one hour to an hour and a half or a two-hour show. I really doubt it. I don't really like sitting here for two hours talking to you guys about all this stuff. I feel like that's too long. An hour, I feel like, is short and sweet and right to the point. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there that can be an hour and a half, two hours, which is great. I just personally can't. Not that I won't find enough information to talk about. I just don't know if I can find the time to sit here and talk for two hours about all this stuff. So again, I don't know if we're going to expand the show or if I'll just, you know, uh, abbreviate my thoughts in Raw as opposed to doing match by match, segment by segment in the pay-per-views too. Maybe there will be weeks where we have a pay-per-view or a live special and then we'll have to extend it to an hour and a half. Who knows? But as I said, the only thing that is for certain right now that is pretty much 99% confirmed is that when SmackDown goes live on July 19th, the draft will be held on that Tuesday, which I'll talk about in one minute. Uh, I will be having WrestleRant Radio move to Thursdays, Thursday afternoons, Thursday nights, whatever, just Thursdays, period. I have no idea what time of the day. Um, Usually, I just put it up whenever I can record it. So that's just the bottom line. WrestleRant Radio moving to Thursdays starting July 21st and a month from today. Don't miss it right here on NextAirWrestling.net. New episodes coming to you every Thursday starting July 21st. So anyway, guys, moving along here before we get into the Money in the Bank review and also Raw review from last night as well, I do want to talk briefly about two things. One, the aforementioned WWE Draft coming to you July 19th on the very first live episode of SmackDown. It's going to be great. I love the move. Uh, They broke the news on WWE.com first thing Monday morning, which is great because the website was getting a lot of traffic anyway, obviously coming off the pay-per-view right before Raw. So there was no better time to... Uh, break the news, then right then and there, people have been wondering for weeks when the draft would be held, ever since the news of the brand split broke about a month ago. We've really been in the dark. Um, the wrestlers, management for the most part, the fans especially, of course, the fact that we really haven't heard anything else about when the draft was going to be held. But now we know July 21st, the first episode of SmackDown, live on Tuesday nights. And it's a big get for the blue brand, too, because ever since... The inception of the draft, even going all the way back to 2002, we had our first ever draft in WWE, the first ever draft in WWE, it was always held on Raw. There was never a time where it was held on Raw, and then the other half was held on SmackDown. The only other instance where I can recall that ever happening was in 05, when we had the draft lottery, and then it wasn't held in one night, but people would switch from show to show, and Batista would show up on SmackDown as World Heavyweight Champion, of course, Johnson, the famous moment showing up on Raw as WWE Champion. Moments like that. Um, I feel like that was the only time that wasn't really a draft held on SmackDown. Those people just getting drafted from Raw to SmackDown and then showing up on SmackDown. So other than that, we have never had a draft on SmackDown before. And like I said, right off the bat, it makes SmackDown feel relevant and important again and must see. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Like I've said before, I talked about it in that little 20-minute audio piece I did right after the news broke of the brand split. If you go to the archive audio section here on the website and go to other, um, it's right there talking all about the brand split and my thoughts on it and how it's going to work out, pros and cons, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I did talk about that in the audio piece, how much I love the draft from the beginning of when I was a fan. I started watching in April of 2008, and the first draft that I was a fan for was June of 2008, and I just love the idea of it. Of course, this will not be you know, the exact same thing because we do not have brands currently. So it's not like we're going to have members of both brands battling each other for a draft because we don't not we don't have currently, you know, members of each brand because there's no brands right now. So but I do like the way they are going to be doing this and I know people have asked about this and have suggested this and I thought this was the way that they were going to do it. 
Um, apparently, they're going to have a Raw GM and a SmackDown GM, obviously, but they're going to be doing their draft picks. And when they talked about it last night on Raw, they really aired it home. They aired a bunch of commercials, put a bunch of interviews up on their website talking about um, people that are going to be drafted from Raw to SmackDown, which brand do they want to end up on, blah, blah, blah. I could certainly see them doing something similar to the O2 installment of the draft, which you can watch on the network, by the way. I did a couple months ago. It's not a great show, just a forewarning. But uh, it is an interesting concept that is different from the draft that maybe most fans are used to, that I was a fan for when you have Raw and SmackDown, the members of each brand, battling each other for a draft pick. That makes, I mean, I, I and even in storyline, that never really made any sense because every Raw guy could win, leaving SmackDown with no draft picks whatsoever. So I actually kind of like this way that they're going to be doing it instead. It feels more realistic, like an actual draft, like an actual sports draft, like the MLB draft, NFL draft, what have you. It makes a lot more sense this way. We still have no idea who's running Raw or SmackDown. In recent weeks, we've had the returns of Corporate Kane, Teddy Long. We had John, John Laurinaitis come back last night. Of course, none of those guys will presumably be running Raw or SmackDown, which is probably for the better. We've seen them run each show before, so it's kind of you know dead in the water. Um, hopefully, I mean, we get a new fresh face. I mean, Shane McMahon said last night, you know, a new fresh face running Raw or SmackDown representing the new era. And if it's not Shane or Stephanie, if neither of them are in charge of either show, I don't know what you do with either person. I would love to see Shane stick around. Um, I did you know, suggest to someone yesterday, I know this is not the first time that this is brought up as a possibility, maybe Daniel Bryan gets brought back in the GM role. I know he doesn't want to be really near wrestling right now, having just retired a few months ago. But it'd be cool to see Daniel Bryan in an authoritative, in an authority figure role. Um, he did run Raw for a night, the night after Survivor Series, when the Authority were ousted out of power in 2014. So that would be cool to see, and he run, and he ran Raw very well from a storyline standpoint. So it'd be cool to see him in power and running Raw or SmackDown, preferably SmackDown. You know, SmackDown was Daniel Bryan's baby almost for a majority of his career from 2011 up until he retired. He wanted to become a SmackDown exclusive guy, almost bringing back the brand split himself and just kind of doing then a soft brand split that had been rumored for a while. But that being said, um, I think, you know, I think it's great. So hopefully we get new, fresh names in charge of Raw and SmackDown as the GM sooner rather than later. I assume they're going to be revealed right before the draft. And until then, we will get returns of former Raw and SmackDown GMs. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see... I don't know. Anyone that's currently in the company. Obviously, Teddy Long is on good terms with the company. Maybe Eric Bischoff. They just put out a DVD for the guy. It would shock me if he didn't show up at least once. I could see Mick Foley showing up. I could see especially Vicky Guerrero, who shows up to all the live events in Texas anyway. I know she's busy with other stuff right now, but wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, but still, even people like that, it's cool to see those former you know, former names return, former faces that had ran, that had ran Raw and SmackDown. But it'd be a lot better if we just had a fresh face running either show, um, so it doesn't really feel like a retread of the Attitude Era as opposed to the new era, which would you know, which would be represented. But like I said, the WWE Draft coming your way July 19th on the first ever live episode of SmackDown on Tuesday nights. It's going to be stacked. I like the concept. I like the way they're building it up. Um, the Draft was always my favorite night of the year, one of the most exciting nights of the year, so I can't wait for the upcoming draft on July 19th. So that was the first news item. The second one, not really a news item, but more of a a thoughts and review section of what happened last night after Raw. The Stone Cold Podcast with AJ Styles that was announced a few weeks ago by WWE. Couldn't have been any more psyched for it. Every Stone Cold Podcast, even the Mick Foley one, even the Chris Jericho ones, every single one has had something to offer. Not everyone has been great. Not everyone has been super newsworthy. Um, some have been more fun than they were engaging or compelling or, like I said, newsworthy or groundbreaking or whatever. Um, but pretty much everyone, in my opinion, I think 
I, I believe 12 have been held at this point. I know I did an article a few months ago counting down or ranking every podcast that has been held to date. And uh, I think that might have been back in January before or after the Ric Flair one or after the Shawn Michaels one. But since then, we've had the big show. We've had Shane McMahon. We might have had somebody else. But I, I believe we've only had Big Show, Shane, and now AJ Styles. Out of all of them, and I just rewatched the Brock Lesnar one about a, a month ago or a few weeks ago, and it was really, really good. Love the Brock Lesnar one. That one probably is still my favorite. Um, but even if not, I don't know if this one will surpass this. The AJ Styles one from last night I thought was exceptional. Um, not even a full hour. I mean, they put it on right after Raw, which was around like 11.05, 11.10, whatever. And they went off the air around 12. So I believe I got to check the time on it. I haven't gone back and listened to it or checked the time or the clock, whatever, that uh, or, or the timestamp. I don't even think the conversation lasted a full hour, which is fine. But it's just funny that every other podcast they've ever had has gone at least an hour, if not more. I mean, with a lot of people like Shane, Vince, obviously, he runs the place. He can do what he wants. They've gone overtime. Um, a lot of these guys have done an hour and a half, I've seen. But uh, anyway, I thought this was good. I thought this was really, really good. Obviously, AJ Styles, my current favorite WWE superstar, has been a favorite of mine since his days in TNA many years ago. So um, I was excited to see him in this platform. We rarely hear AJ Styles do interviews and podcasts and stuff like that. He was on Jericho's podcast a few times. He was on Jarrah's podcast about a month or two or a year or two ago. And he's always done really well in that environment. And this podcast was no exception. Um, I, you know, he talked obviously early on his, about his upbringing, being a sport guy, um, how it worked out with his girlfriend in high school and later wife and how he had kids and how they're kind of the center of his world, all that kind of thing before getting into the uncharted territories, which I'll talk about in a second. <clears throat> I'll talk about in a second in terms of WWE acknowledging it, <clears throat> excuse me, but, uh, then they get into the, uh, the, the infamous three letters that are typically banned on WWE TV for whatever reason. In 2016, I honestly don't think it matters anymore. We've seen so many unprecedented things happen this year that, not that it wouldn't shock me, but I just feel like it's a matter of time before they finally acknowledge TNA on WWE TV. I just don't see why not. I mean, I could see why they might be embarrassed to call them a wrestling company. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but they still, not that they're a competition in any way. I just feel like that they're so insignificant of a threat at this point. And maybe that's why they didn't acknowledge them many years ago, unlike they've done with WCW and ECW and even Ring of Honor. They know Ring of Honor is no threat to them. They even worked with them at some points uh, in trading talent and, you know, and, and acknowledging them and working on pieces for the website. So I just don't understand, especially in the state that TNA is in. I think Ring of Honor was a bigger threat to WWE than TNA is at this point. So I just don't understand why they don't bring it up. Like a, a perfect example, I'm not saying they need to shove TNA down her throat every single week, but I'm saying in any instance where it's where it's necessary, like where John Cena was bringing up the companies that AJ Styles had made famous, PWG, New Japan Pro Wrestling that he was most known for, rather, and Ring of Honor, no mention of TNA. Again, not surprising, but it's just why. In 2016, where TNA is nearly on the verge of death, I hate to say it, I enjoy the product, but it pretty much is. I just don't see why they can't talk about it. Now, that said, on the podcast, it's a totally different story. Um, I just remember when Stone Cold brought up TNA on the Vince podcast, the very first one they did back in December of 2014. They haven't mentioned TNA since. I don't know why they would. I mean, all the, what, are they going to ask Mick Foley about TNA? Or rather, uh, they're going to talk to... Uh, or they've had the Mick Foley podcast, too. I forgot about that one right before WrestleMania. That was good, too. Were they going to talk to Shane about TNA? I mean, they're not. There's, they really haven't had any guests where they could talk about TNA for the most part. Maybe Christian, but even that, he was with Edge, so they weren't really going to talk about his TNA run. 
But anyway, though, um, it was obviously they needed to talk about it last night with AJ Styles. The guy wrestled there for freaking 11 years, so they would have been just asinine had they gone a full hour talking about his entire wrestling career and not talking about the one promotion that he helped make famous. For the most part, was that he represented for over a decade in that being TNA Impact Wrestling. And they went really in-depth with it, too. I mean, they kind of avoided it for a while. They waited to talk. They didn't even mention the TNA initials until, like, halfway through the podcast. Until, like, 11.30, I'm checking my clock, like, okay, when are they talking about this thing? I mean, the first half of the podcast was really good, but I was waiting for them to get into the TNA stuff. And they finally did it halfway through, and when they opened it, and it's funny, too, the way they mentioned it, it almost sounded like they were talking about, like, Chris Benoit or something. Like, they're like, so you work for TNA. Like, the way that he said it, it sounded like he was almost trying to hide the fact, or he wasn't trying to, like, let Vince hear, like, what are you saying? Not that, that that was the case, but it just came across that way, in the way that he said it, in the way that he said it very softly. Um, AJ Styles did the same thing when he talked about Christopher Daniels and name-dropped him. He said his name really fast. I know that's just the way that AJ talks, but he, he name-dropped his name really, really fast, Christopher Daniels, and he kind of sped over what he was going to be talking about in regards to Daniels. But then later on, he kind of he kind of got more comfortable and he settled in and he talked a lot more about TNA. He got like five mentions of TNA in like a two-minute video, which WWE put on their YouTube channel right after the podcast went off the air. They had this clip on on the WWE YouTube channel, which is not un, you know uncommon. They've done this before, where they'll take a snippet of any you know little uh, any interview from the Stone Cold podcast just to drive viewers, obviously drive traffic to the WWE network, but. I, so I go on YouTube after watching the podcast, which I'll talk more about in depth in a second. But I go on YouTube, I go into my subscriptions feed, I see that little video, and, AJ, and the title of the video says, AJ Styles talks about uh, where he made his name, or like post-WCW. And the title of the video didn't say TNA, the description of the video didn't say TNA, it probably wasn't like the tags or something if someone searched it up on YouTube, but it wasn't in the description box, it wasn't in, um, in the title of the video itself. But I'm thinking, okay, so maybe this is talking about his WCW days or something. And I already listened to the podcast, but I was interested to see what snippet from the podcast they put up on the YouTube channel. And literally in the first two or three seconds of the of the clip, it said, so let's talk about TNA. And I'm like, oh shit, the full two-minute video they put up on their own YouTube channel was about TNA. And it was really, really surprising. And again, they probably just did that not they're going to start mentioning TNA by name going forward. But I imagine that um, they just did that to, you know, to get people talking, like I'm doing right now. I got a lot of, you know, oohs and ahs on Twitter and social media last night. People saying like they're actually talking about TNA, like this is mind blowing. They talked about they name dropped Dixie Carter and they name dropped Hulk Hogan, which of course, it's still a taboo, you know, topic considering the fact that you know he he was you know accused for being a racist about a year ago and he hasn't really been on, he hasn't been in the company since, but he has been name dropped here and there talking about him coming to TNA, which was fascinating. So I figured he would just be talking about how he made his name there, and he did, but he also went into discussion about, and Stone Cold, always the excellent interviewer, talking about or bringing up the the tough, you know, the tough questions, not, you know, hammering AJ, but bringing up the questions that we all wanted to know. And in some cases, I already knew the answer to, because like I said, AJ's been on the on JR's podcast before, he's been on YTJ's podcast before, twice actually, one before he came to WWE, one after. So I, I've kind of heard this same thing before, but it was just fascinating to me to hear him talking about it in such a setting on a WWE network with Stone Cold Steve Austin asking those questions. You know what I mean? And AJ just comes off so likable and so humble as it is and so genuinely nice. So it was really cool to see him give these, you know, really heartfelt answers about how he felt, about the way he's been booked so far 
and not saying they booked him horribly, but rather saying that I will be making the most of every opportunity they put me in. Give me the opportunity, I will make the most of it. And my job here is to help, you know, get myself over and really just, you know, to do what I've been doing. I'm the phenomenal one. I do things, you know, I I do innovative things, blah, blah, blah. You got to listen to the whole podcast. I'm not doing it justice, but you know what I'm saying though. And that for the final, like for that, you know, overall, I thought it was really, really good. He came across great. But just for that one, you know, segment of the TNA talk was just fascinating. Like I said, talking about his upbringing there, talking about Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle coming in, Hulk Hogan coming in, Dixie Carter trying to resign him, and him just taking a pay cut. He just outright said, I didn't really feel like I deserved to take the pay cut that I did, having never done a bad thing for the company, always having been their number one supporter. And they, you know, they decided that I wanted to take a pay cut. I said no, and then I left. That's pretty much what he said in explaining his departure from TNA. So then he went on to say that he also mentioned he didn't go into full-on details, and I didn't think he would. And I think some people were were hoping they would or they would uh, they would talk about it. I, it was honestly the last thing on my mind until he mentioned this about how he almost tried to resign with TNA in Ring of Honor and New Japan as well before coming to WWE. And AJ explained that. Triple H had re- or he had a friend reach out to Triple H. The friend, the friend remained anonymous. It might have been Samoa Joe. I'm not exactly sure who it would have been, but um, maybe it was a friend in talent relations or something like that. So he said he had a friend reach out to Triple H about coming into WWE, and he never heard back from Triple H. So he started negotiating with TNA and Ring of Honor and New Japan, and he just wanted to be with his family. And obviously, he couldn't do that if he was living over in Japan. So that's why he wanted to possibly come back to TNA. And then Triple H finally reached out two weeks later, had a 30-minute conversation with AJ, um, the first time they'd ever talked, AJ said, and he knew right after he got off the phone to them that that was the place where he wanted and, more importantly, needed to be. So he made the deal to come to WWE, but he didn't talk about, obviously, this is what the part that I'm talking about here. He didn't say anything about how uh, TNA put out a statement right before he came to WWE about him stiffing their deal and blah, 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 and then being bitter over the whole thing. I thought it'd be funny if he did mention that. He didn't. He was a professional, and I respect that. But And again, I don't know if anyone's disappointed he didn't talk about that. I didn't really expect him to at all. That's not really anything for a WWE podcast. It's just interesting information. Because the topic, what they were talking about, the focus of what they were talking about was how he came to WWE, how the deal came about, talked about his debut, Wrestling at WrestleMania, all this other stuff, feuding with John Cena. So again, great podcast. The hour flew by. It wasn't even an hour long, I don't think. Like, like I don't even think it was an hour long, I don't think. I think it might have been just like 50, 55 minutes. The audio will be up on Stone Cold's podcast. If you don't have the network, which you should by now, but if you don't, the audio will be up on uh, on Stone Cold's podcast. I don't think this week. Um, I just got finished listening to it. He has Vince Russo on today on his family-friendly show, and then on Thursday, he's got Goldberg, which also which should also be pretty good, so I imagine it's going to be dropping next Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to that, but um, I, I've already listened to it, but hopefully I'll be listening to it again, because I thought it was just so great, so if you haven't heard it, if you haven't checked it out, definitely do so, very stimulating, engaging, and compelling conversation between Stone Cold Steve Austin and AJ Styles, another two thumbs up to Stone Cold for another amazing podcast, I look forward to seeing who he has on next. He didn't mention that he will have someone on. He will be back for the podcast in another month or two. He said he had, even he has no idea who he's going to be talking to. But hopefully it's another equally big name. Um, I would love to see you know Seth Rollins on the podcast. Even Roman Reigns or Dean Ambrose. I know they're no like they really have no groundbreaking or any dirt like any on any of their company like AJ might have had with TNA. But it'd still be here to you know to hear either of them on the podcast. We do not typically hear Roman Reigns do podcasts and stuff like that. A tell-all podcast. So I'd be interested to hear, you know, or even Sting, who went into the Hall of Fame this year, or The Undertaker, 
which <clears throat> excuse me, which has to happen at some point. <clears throat> hopefully sooner rather than later. I don't know if they're going to be doing it in the next few months. I doubt it. I don't know. I don't see re- I don't see the reason why. Other than it'd be great, but I don't see why like the timing would work out that way. Anyway, though, he will be back in, a, in another month or two. He said to interview someone else for the WWE Network, and I look forward to seeing who he talks to because every Stone Cold podcast thus far, including the Jericho and Foley ones, have been very very good. So let's move forward here to my review of Money in the Bank from Sunday Night. Like I said, a very good show on the whole. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, on the kickoff show, we had two matches. I don't know why these matches. For one thing, I thought it was a really good show overall. Like I said, a great show even. But um, I, I don't understand why they moved Corbin and Ziggler, who deserve to be on the main card. Their feud has really been dull, but both guys respectively deserve to be on the main card, especially after being relegated to the to the kickoff show over the past two pay-per-views, and especially Cruz and Sheamus as well. But the matches were really good. Both matches were good, but they did not need to be held in the main card. And because they were held in the main card, the show went like 20 minutes overtime. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour show almost. And it's just not necessary. You do not need to have three and a half hours when you could just easily cut the fat. That's why I thought I was surprised when they re-added those matches to the main card and put two other matches on the kickoff show instead just because I knew for a fact that the top three matches were going to go long. And I'm thank God they didn't cut time from the main event or the um, the ladder match or Cena and AJ especially, which I'll talk about in a minute. They didn't take any time away from anything, which was good, but they just did not need to have those two matches on the main card. Again... Good matches, the right people went over. I'll talk about that momentarily. I just didn't really feel like it was necessary to have those two matches on the main card. But at any rate, um, the kickoff match, Dragons and Dudley Boys, decent match. Dragons won. That's pretty much it. Second kickoff match, the Golden Truth taking on Brazongo. Uh, could not have cared less about this whatsoever. Uh, and that might have been actually, that was the first match they had. And then they had Dragons and the, and the Dudley Boys, but whatever. Um, this was just stupid. I mean, I don't want to complain about it because I've talked about it before, but just the whole angle is just so asinine. Hopefully it's over at this point. Um, I mean, just with the whole feuding of the two teams, they're probably going to have more matches. Not that I care about it, but it was just a total waste of time. Thankfully, it was kept short and sweet, so I can't complain too much. But the whole sunburn thing, I just thought came off so campy. No one gave a shit. I didn't give a shit. It was just so stupid, but... Anyway, hopefully the Gold of Truth finally getting the win over Brazongo finally means they can move away from this um this awful angle and just do something different with ball teams because I could not care less about this. Moving forward to the main card, kicking off the event for the WWE Tag Team Titles, the New Day successfully defended their tag titles against the Vaude Villains, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, and Enzo Mori and Big Cass in a fatal four-way tag team match. I'm a good match, not a great match, I wouldn't say. The only thing that held it back from being a great match were the multiple botches. And not just one botch. It's not like with Corbin and Ziggler. I mean, it, this was weird, too. It felt like a night to me where there was a lot of botches. For whatever reason, it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the show whatsoever. It didn't hinder my enjoyment of the event. But Botchamania is going to have a field day with this event. Because it felt like in every match, there were at least one or two botches. And I know that's usually the case with any wrestling show. But in this show, more you know, noticeable than ever. For whatever reason. I don't know what was in the water. Or maybe they just, you know... Uh, Maybe the, the ropes were greasy, I have no idea, but the ropes were slippery or something, or the steel steps. So anyway, in this match, we had a couple different botches, which I thought was weird. The psychology and pacing of the match was a bit strange. Again, it was a good match, all four teams. It was a, a train wreck of an Oprah in a good way. But when Enzo, I think he had Aiden English and some sort of Boston Crab or something, Kofi was going for a trouble in paradise, he missed, and Enzo fell over. It was a very weird spot, they fucked that up by accident. And then later on, as if that wasn't bad enough, Big E, who picked up Carl Anderson from the pinfall, which was really, really sick, by the way, 
waiting too long for Big Cass to get in the ring, or rather, Big Cass waited too long to get in the ring, causing the rest of the match to be delayed. You know, Big E's just standing there. Luke Gallows is just standing there. They were standing there for like a minute or not a minute, but it felt like a minute. They were standing there forever before Big Cass finally got his cue and came in the ring. So that was a bit off. And then there's been a lot of confusion over who was the who's the legal man. I've heard I didn't pay attention to it. I haven't watched the match back yet. Um, I've heard that Anderson was the legal man, not Aiden English. So they pinned the wrong guy and a, a tag wasn't made, something like that. So again, a very confusing and botch filled match. Not a bad match by any means, just kind of sloppy at some certain points. But uh, it was just weird. Again, all four teams worked well together. It was a very fun match overall. Just the botches kind of were too apparent. Usually I'll just forgive them, but this these were just too apparent just for pacing issues. And you run into those kind of issues with a multi-man tag team match. I mean, you had freaking how many guys? You had eight people, nine people, including Xavier Woods at ringside. So it's it's a lot of components to keep track of. So I don't really blame them for the miscues and whatever. It just kind of took away from the match a little bit. But in the end, it was a new day. Still the WWE Tag Team Champions. I have no issue with that whatsoever. It looks like they're headed for, towards a feud with... Uh, the Wyatt family, which I'll talk about in my Raw review momentarily. But I'm glad. I mean, I like Anderson and Gallows. They will be champions before long, absolutely. Um, hopefully before the end of the year. Almost guaranteed before the end of the year. But I think it'd be great if we could see New Day break the record. And they definitely deserve to do so. I mean, they've held the championships for almost the year at this point. Since SummerSlam of last year, they won the belts actually in a Fatal 4-Way Tag Team title match. They have, hit, they have had history and experience working in these type of matches. So, no real surprise they won here. Um, but I thought it was good. I'm glad they won. I'm glad they retained the titles. Cause like I said, if there's any team to break the record that deserves to break the record, it's these guys. The new day has been killing it as tag team champions over the past 10, 11 months. And they've really brought legitimacy and excitement and fun back to tag team wrestling. Not only them, but also their opponents and everyone they've defended the titles against. I was looking at, you know, the list of names they've beaten over the past 11 months, every tag team they've successfully defended their titles against. They have beaten, they have beaten the primetime players they beat the Matadors to win the belts. They beat, uh, who was the other team in that Fatal 4 We tag team title match last year? New Day, Primetime Players, the Matadors, and the Usos? No, the Usos won in the match. Who were in that match last year? The Matadors, the New Day, the freaking, wow, the Primetime Players. And I feel like there was one other team. There, there, there definitely was one other team in that match. Wow, I can't recall for the life of me who right now who that would have been. Honestly, wow, that's, I can't even remember who the other tag team was. Anyway, so they beat those teams to win the belts. They beat the primetime players to retain them. They beat the Dudley Boys, Night of Champions, Hell in the Cell, and the MSG Special to retain the titles. They beat the Lucha Dragons. They've retained against the Usos, against League of Nations, Y2AJ, Enzo and Cass, the Vaude Villains, Gallows and Anderson. Pretty much every tag team in the book over the past 11 months. So like I said, they've had a great reign as tag team champions. And honestly, I have underestimated them time and time again. I always thought they were going to drop the belts here or there. And every time I think they're going to lose the belts, they always come right out back again out on top. So who knows what the uh, what the future holds for the New Day. Hopefully they don't drop the championships before they break the record, which I believe is right before Battleground. So I think it's in late July they break the record. And Battleground isn't until like the last Sunday of July. So I think they will break the record before the pay-per-view, but... Like I said, I'm glad they're retained, and uh, hopefully we will get new tag team champions before long, hopefully in the form of the Wyatt family or Enzo and Cass at some point in the near future. But um, after that, we had a Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler, like I said, for the millionth time. Not a bad match, and probably, not even probably, the best match these two have ever had. Again, not saying much, their past matches weren't really all that great, but I thought this was really good. Um, Baron Corbin especially shining here, I thought he had a great showing here. 
catching Ziggler when he tripped off the steel steps and incorporating that into the contest. That was great, too. And uh, winning clean. Beat Dolph Ziggler, and he beat Zack Ryder on Raw as well. So the way it should have been, he didn't really come out of this feud any better than he was going in. Um, which kind of sucks, but still, I thought it was for the better. You know, Corbin does have a lot of potential. He does have a lot of upside, so hopefully they can get him back on track coming off this kind of failed feed in my eyes, but still a very good match from the two. Charlotte and Dana Brooke beating an Italian Becky Lynch. The match was really nothing of note. Not a bad match, but with nothing on the line, no one really gave a shit, so. And we had the championship match. We had a much better match in Paige and Charlotte the next night on Raw, so the match itself was inconsequential, but but they did take me by surprise with Natalia's heel turn after the match, turning on Becky Lynch. And it makes perfect sense. It's not just a swerve for the sake of a swerve. It makes sense because Natalia is, you know, has they, they mentioned it time and time again in the pay-per-view on Raw, how she has failed to win the Women's Slash Divas Championship multiple times over the last couple of months. She lost a roadblock, she lost a payback, and she lost at Extreme Rules. And she also lost a championship match on Raw. She won by DQ, remember? But she still failed to win the championship, so... It was only logical for her, and also lost last night. So it was only logical for her to, you know, really reach her breaking point and turn heel. And I really don't care about Natalia. I like Natalia, but she's just been here for almost 10 years. I really don't care about her too much. She's still a great wrestler, but with, you know, so so many other fresh faces in the division right now, there's really no need for her to be champion at any point in the near future. So I just don't care. But a heel turn definitely, you know, reinvigorates my interest in the Natalia character. So it gives us a Becky and Natalia feud. I would love to see those two feuding, uh, you know, one on one, but it'd be even better if we got to see them get involved in the Divas champ or the women's championship picture, rather. I mean, I'll talk about Charlotte and Paige and Natalia, or rather, uh, Sasha Banks, who returned on Raw in a minute. But uh, I'd be totally fine for a, a Fado four away with all four women or a five way with Paige or whatever. But even if it's one-on-one between Natalia and, and Becky Lynch, I'm totally fine with them doing that feud heading into the next pay-per-view. Um, but after that, we had Apollo Crews and Sheamus, which was uh, a decent match. They picked up the pace down the stretch, and the crowd was engaged in the action. They were, uh, you know, they got in the near falls down the stretch. A good match. Crews went over as he should have. And they weren't even on Raw. So the whole feud has just been not even really. It hasn't been a bad feud, but it hasn't really been on TV enough for people to care. So I wasn't shocked the crowd sat on their hands. But um, it, w- it was good. I-, I enjoyed it for what it was, and I'm glad Cruz won. So that's really all I could say about it. Cruz has a lot of potential, a lot like Corbin. They just need to get the guy some direction. Beating a former WWE champion is big, and especially a guy that was the WWE champion only a few months ago. <clears throat> I know Sheamus hasn't meant much. It hasn't meant much in ages, but still, a win is a win, and it's still the biggest win, obviously, that Cruz has picked up to date. But still, hopefully, at some point, we will see Apollo Cruz. On Raw more regularly as he deserves to be because he does he he does deserve to be a regular on either show and hopefully with the brand split coming up in a few weeks um, we will see him become a more prominent fixture on either show. Um, but beyond that, after that we had Dean Ambrose or we had the Money in the Bank or not even the Money in the Bank ladder match. We had AJ Styles and John Cena, the first ever one on one encounter. And what can I say about this match that has not been said already? I think up to this point. And I'm writing a whole article about this, not my personal top 10 favorite matches of 2016 so far, but rather 10 matches you need to watch, um, need to rewatch rather, from the first half of 2016 in WWE, including NXT. And it's it's hard to say, I love Nakamura Sami Zayn from Dallas, but this match might, even if, okay, that's NXT, so only main roster here. This is probably my favorite main roster match up to this point in 2016. I love the Fatal 4-Way from Extreme Rules to the IC title. I love the Owens and Zayn. I love the triple threat women's championship match at WrestleMania 32. 
But this match was something else. And for a match that had only received three weeks of buildup, and of course it's been in the works, and it's been in the making for 15 years, obviously, but it's a feud that really only kicked off three weeks ago. It's not like they were holding off on it until WrestleMania or SummerSlam. They gave it away at Money in the Bank. So, and I think it worked out for the better, considering the rest of the show was really, really good. The main event's all delivered, and it was a a star-studded event. But I thought uh, the match was great. Obviously, a phenomenal contest, no pun intended. For over 20 minutes, the momentum going back and forth, and just such great chemistry. You know, AJ on the ropes, going for phenomenal forearm. Cena picks him up for an AA. You know, AJ kicks out immediately. AJ hitting the Styles Clash on John Cena. AJ going for an AA, and you know, uh, AJ rolling out of it into a calf crush or calf, almost a calf killer. It's now the calf crusher in WWE. Not a big difference, but. Gets him in that. He locks AJ in the SDF. Nearly taps out. So a lot of really good near falls. Like I said, great psychology. Great chemistry. Great story told. Everything about this match was just that. Great. Or even awesome. Uh, I thought the whole match was just absolutely outstanding. There was not one moment. It was one of those matches too, which is very rare for me personally, where I put down what I was doing. I did not tweet during Other than one spot, which I typed in. Or no, that was I typed it in during the main event uh, for the World Championship. But for this match, anyway, I think I put down my laptop, I put down everything, and I did not take my eyes away from the screen throughout the entirety of the contest. I just couldn't because I was so engaged in who would win. And 15 years in the making, like I said, and there's real, you only really have one opportunity to make a good first impression for a, for a first-time-ever matchup, and they did just that by having a, just a stellar contest. And like I said, I cannot say enough good things about the match. But in the end, though, um, the finish kind of got some fans riled up, and understandably so, but I'll you know I'll defend it in a second and give my two thoughts on why I'm not as pissed. So anyway, um, Arcina has the match won. The referee gets knocked out. So we have the typical referee bump that you know followed AJ from TNA, apparently. Uh, so anyway, so we have the ref bump. The club comes in. Gallows and Anderson take out Cena with a magic killer. <clears throat> AJ covers Cena when the referee gets get, gets back up. Pins Cena. Scores the victory. AJ Styles beats John Cena. So here's the thing. Not that there was a lot of outrage. I saw a lot of praise to the match. The finish. The fact that AJ won. Only a minority of people, I thought, were upset or frustrated with the fact that AJ should have won clean. So here's the thing, and I know Owens was a heel when he beat Cena clean. Not everyone can beat Cena clean. AJ should beat Cena clean. Um, If there's anyone who deserves to beat Cena clean, it's him. That said, that's not to say that we won't see that down the line. There's no reason to say that we won't be seeing that at Battleground. We could see it at SummerSlam. Maybe they're holding off. Who knows? We really have no truly idea, excuse me, um, what this feud holds for the future. We could see this... You know, we could see you know, we could see finally see Styles beat Cena clean at the next pay-per-view. They could be building up to it at SummerSlam, so it means more there. I like the storytelling they did with this feud because as they explained well, they explained first at the pay-per-view itself <clears throat> that AJ had no idea. He only covered Cena because he saw that he was out, and he had no idea that Gallows and Anderson came in to help him. Of course that was not the case, but that's the way that the commentators portrayed it. So then the next night on Raw, he had the club, quote-unquote, apologize to John Cena for costing him the win and whatever. And in storyline, AJ did it to give Cena an excuse for losing. And that Cena can use them as an excuse as to why he lost, because otherwise he would have lost AJ. Clean and decisively in the middle of the ring. So I liked it. I liked it a lot. And then AJ's a heel. You're supposed to hate him anyway, so... I thought it was perfectly fine. Should he have beat him clean? Absolutely. I would have been thrilled, but I'm not any more... You know, I'm not any more... Um, you know, enthralled. I'm not any more thrilled by the win 
than I was, you know, just because he won dirty. Like I said, he's a heel. I know he promised there would be no interference in the contract signing on the week before on Raw. But again, he's a heel. He's going to go against his word. I do not think at all this made AJ look weak. You know, the fact I think we need to appreciate, which I talked all about yesterday and hashtag Ask You Stand with Jason. Check it out, by the way. Great episode. We sat down for an hour. My buddy Jason talking, you know, answering all your guys' questions and whatever. And I also talked about this in review. In my written review of the show on Sunday Night and Next at Wrestling.net, that I, I just don't really see what the big deal is. I mean, we need to appreciate the fact, should he have beaten him clean? Sure, absolutely. But does it take away from the moment? It shouldn't. You gotta look at the basics here, people. They could have very easily had Cena win his first match back and beat AJ Styles. That's freaking huge. That is freaking huge that Vince McMahon signed off on the face, the former face, rather, of TNA for over a decade, beating the former, the, the current face of WWE, who has been the, the flag bearer of WWE for over a decade. That is freaking huge. That the former face of TNA pinned, not, not clean, dirty, clean, doesn't freaking matter, Pin John Cena on a WWE pay-per-view. You need to appreciate that aspect, as I'm sure, guarantee you, everyone that is pissed about that would just be even more upset. Those are the same people that would be complaining that it had AJ lost. I would have been complaining too. But you got to appreciate the fact and take what you can get. You got to look at the glass half full here, people, that you have to appreciate and take what you can get with WWE. It's not always going to be perfect. Appreciate that AJ won at all. Won at all. And the fact that it only took him one finisher. Took him one finisher. He, you know, he hit Roman Reigns with three Styles classes. One on a chair. You hit him with five phenomenal forearms and 20 chair shots. And he kicked out. John Cena got hit with what? One Styles clash, one Magic Killer, and that's it? I mean, come on. They're booking Cena better than Roman Reigns at this point. You know what I mean? So, you have to appreciate that. And again, and even then, you can also consider the fact that you, you... we, we, we could be getting AJ beating Cena clean at some point later down the line. I know that's being optimistic. That is being way too optimistic. And I fully expect Cena to win the next two matches as he did with Kevin Owens last year. But again, Owens, or rather, Styles needed this win. Coming off his back-to-back losses to Roman Reigns and then another loss <clears throat> in the Rumble and the loss of WrestleMania to Chris Jericho, he needed this win more than anything. And he won the match. Well, let's appreciate that for two seconds. And he's a heel anyway. If he was a babyface, maybe I'd have more to say on it. Maybe I'd complain a little bit more about it. <clears throat> but the fact that he won at all is huge. The fact that AJ Styles, be again, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice, I'm losing my voice here. I'm going off on a rant here. The fact that AJ beat John Cena at all on a WWE pay-per-view <clears throat> is just huge. So again, let's appreciate that for two seconds before we complain about how he won the match. And then we'll see what the rest of this feud holds. If Cena beats him clean decisively in the middle of the ring of the next two pay-per-view matches, maybe then I'll say, okay, maybe he should have beaten him clean in their first match. But for right now, I honestly have no issue with this whatsoever. Because it makes more sense now to have him lose, to have Styles beat Cena via interference and then win later on his own, as opposed to beating him clean in the middle of the ring now, and then winning with interference later on. That would be ass-backwards as to why he could beat him on his own, but he can't beat him on his own later on. You know, but this way it makes more sense. Because now we do not know if Styles can beat Cena on his own, clean in the middle of the ring. And once he does do that, he can prove to Cena and everyone else he's superior to John Cena. So again, I like the story they're telling. 
Bottom line, the match itself was outstanding in my personal favorite main roster match of 2016 thus far. And I am anxiously anticipating the rematch come Battleground, you know, if they hold it, which they probably will, obviously. But um, bottom line here, people, just don't fret. I'm not saying don't complain. You complain, you can complain all you want. But I'm just saying do not worry just yet that Styles won dirty. For one, appreciate that he won it all. And two, let's just see how the feud plays out. I do not have enough faith in WWE that they're going to do this right, unfortunately. Um, you know, past history has told us, history has told us, has taught us that Cena will likely win the next two matches on pay-per-view, but Styles won. He beat John Cena. Let's just recognize that for two seconds before we go on a, ma- on a massive rant as to how he won dirty. Let's just wait and see how the feud plays out in the months to come. I'm look- I, for one, am very much looking forward to it. So anyway, so we move forward from there into the Money in the Bank ladder match. Another great match. Um, I don't know if I'd call it the greatest Money in the Bank ladder match of all time, but it was still pretty damn good. All six guys worked very well together, had their moment to shine. Dean Ambrose, in the end, ascended the ladder to become the new Mr. Money in the Bank and um, securing his title shot uh, at any time of any place uh, of his choosing at the WWE Championship, the WWE World WWE Championship for up to the next year. Of course, he wouldn't wait that long. He'd only wait an hour. But um, it was a great match. I really, really enjoyed it. I think all six guys, like I said, had their time to shine. Everyone got all their spots in. And Kevin Owens taking the Michinaku driver on the ladder was this easily the sickest spot in the entire match. I thought he killed the guy. Thought he killed the guy. And it, it came off great, too. So I thought that was really, really cool. The rest of the match was great. And uh, Dean Ambrose, I had no issue with him winning Mr. Money in the Bank, becoming Mr. Money in the Bank, just because um, he deserves it. You know, he, he's been gunning for that briefcase for the past two years, and I'll talk about his title win in a second, but the match itself was really, really good. Uh, Rusev and O'Neal for the U.S. Championship. I have no idea why they didn't... I mean, I'm glad they held the match. I mean, it would have sucked if they cut it from the card. I mean, it wouldn't have been a big blow for us, the fans, but it would have been for these guys who've had a you know, fine feud for what it was. It heated up on Raw last night when Titus just went berserk on Rusev for insulting and humiliating and embarrassing his family and his kids in front of him, whatever. So, I thought that was really good. The the Raw Brawl was good. The match itself here was nothing of no. Didn't really care. Rusev retained. Good. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they're continuing on with the feud. I'm glad they are. But I'm surprised they're continuing on with it, despite the fact that Titus lost clean and decisively in the middle of the ring on Sunday. Like, I would have made more sense if Rusev just... If Rusev cheated the win to retain the title, as opposed to beating him clean, only to have the feud continue. But anyway, like I said, the brawl I thought was good on Monday night, and the post-match promo from Rusev I thought was great. The fact that he said, uh, you cannot call him dad anymore, you can only have to call him Titus, I thought was hilarious as hell. Um, So that was what it was. Took the crowd down a little bit after the Money in the Bank ladder match. And then we get to the main event, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Another excellent match between these two. Obviously, and I say I know they've been saying this like this is the first time ever. On pay-per-view, yes. But they have had matches before on Raw and SmackDown and shit like that. And they've always worked well together. These two have always had amazing matches. This match was no exception. Uh, the near falls down the stretch were great. A lot of drama, a lot of suspense. The one spot, that one spot though, from the spear into the pedigree was amazing. That felt like something you'd see in a video game, like in a dream sequence. I feel like, so this is what you're going to do, bro. Like a Vince Russo scenario. Like, this is what you're going to do, bro. You're going to go for the spear, bro. And he's going to counter, bro, into the pedigree, bro. But it worked. It, it actually worked. I was surprised at how well that came off. And it really looked like a great move. So that was a sweet spot. So Seth Rollins, in the end, hitting another pedigree on Roman Reigns to win the championship clean. And again, I feel like... And that's my answer to the question that someone asked me yesterday. What is one underrated moment from Money in the Bank? I don't think there were many underrated moments. I feel like everything got the recognition it deserved. 
But I feel like Roman lost clean. Everyone was talking about Dean Ambrose's big win, as they should have been, obviously. But I feel like the fact that Roman won, Roman lost clean here, one on one for the first time on the, on the main roster. Um, someone pointed out to me on Twitter that he had not lost clean in singles competition since 2012, since he was in NXT against fucking Leo Cruz, isn't even in the company anymore. Adam Rose, which is funny in retrospect, but it's just. It's crazy. I mean, I feel like, again, Dean Ambrose winning the championship, huge moment, an amazing moment. I could not have booked it better myself. And it set up this great triple threat match for the Battleground pay-per-view next month. But um, I think it's, you know, just the fact that it, it just blows my mind that Reigns lost clean for the first time in singles competition. And um, Seth Rollins' expense, no cheating, no nothing. Beat him clean in the middle of the ring. So I thought that was really, really good. And like I said, in the end, Rollins celebrating his championship victory for all of a minute before Dean Ambrose music hits, and he cashes in Money in the Bank hits from behind with a briefcase, hits Dirty Deeds, match is over in 10 seconds, we got a new WWE World Heavyweight Champion for the first time ever in Dean Ambrose. So a great moment, very well deserved, the guy's been working towards that for many years now, so it was long overdue, you know, I've talked about here on the podcast before, RJ and I have joked about it, the guy's a B-plus player, he's never going to win the big one, and he finally did, last night, WWE has been, you know, to their credit, very, you know, booking Ambrose very strong, very, very strong. I know he was not booked too strong in WrestleMania when he got squashed by Lesnar, but ever since then, beat Jericho at Payback, beat Jericho at Extreme Rules, won more matches on TV in the past month than he has in the past six months probably, and then won the Money to Make Ladder match, won the championship on Sunday night, and then was the last man standing at the end of Raw last night. So Ambrose, for the first time, looks like a bona fide main event player. Not that he ever couldn't have been, but now that we finally see him in this light that he deserves this championship run, and it, I think it's great. So it was really cool to see that. And Ambrose finally getting his moment, get finally getting his due. And I thought it was an awesome ending to a very, very good show at, on you know for Money in the Bank on Sunday. I thought the ending was very newsworthy. Two title changes, two new WWE champions crowned, and all three members of the Shield were WWE champion in the span of five minutes, which is again unprecedented history being made right there, right then and there. I saw another stat that said that Rollins pinned Reigns to win his first WWE title. Reigns pinned Ambrose to win his first WWE title, and Ambrose pinned Rollins to win his first WWE title. That, to me, was just mind-blowing. The real circle of life right there. That was pretty freaking cool, too. So, again, I have nothing against the ending to Money in the Bank. I thought it was a great match, great main event, a great surprise. A lot of people, myself included, thought Reigns was winning and retaining, and he didn't. He lost clean. He lost clean. And then, now we got a triple threat match at Battleground for the championship, which I'll talk about in a second. But overall, I thought Money in the Bank was just really, really, really good. Um, two thumbs up, the top three matches delivered, and though the undercard did not light the world on fire. But uh, I thought it was solid, and I can't really complain about anything on the show. Because all the right people went over. New Day retained, as they, I didn't think they would, but I'm glad they did. I'm happy they did, because I really want to see them break the record. Corbin beat Ziggler. Again, hopefully ending their feud and going over as he should have. Apollo Crews won, Charlotte and Dana Brooke won, the champion did not lose again, thank God. AJ beating John Cena again, something that we should not be complaining about, regardless of how it happened. The Money in the Bank ladder match was great, set up the what would happen after the main event, so great match and a right winner. Uh, Rusev retained the title as he should have, and Rollins winning the championship, albeit briefly, only for Dean Ambrose to cash in, making for a very memorable conclusion to Money in the Bank. Now, do I think it surpasses the 2011 Money in the Bank pay-per-view? No. I did not think so. It comes close. Undoubtedly, my favorite, my second to last, or my second to favorite, my second favorite, rather. I'm tongue-twisting here. I'm all over the place. I'm botching, people. I'm botching. More botches than at, uh, not, not as many botches, rather, as, as we saw on Sunday Night at Money in the Bank. 
But um, there's no way come close to topping Money in the Bank 2011. It does rank high up there. It was a great show. And, you know, it is my second favorite Money in the Bank installment of all time. But again, you just can't beat that 2011 show because there was just something about the atmosphere of that night. And we had that electricity in the arena for the top three matches on this show. And the undercard was all right, too. But again, I can't complain. I thought it was a really, really good show. And um, in my personal opinion, WWE's best pay-per-view outing to date in 2016, which I know is not saying much. We've not had many great pay-per-views. Not bad pay-per-views. Every, every pay-per-view's been pretty good to very good, but no real awesome pay-per-view. And I thought this was an awesome pay-per-view, so... Check it out on the WWE Network if you haven't already. Skip through the undercard if you'd like, but uh, definitely watch those final three matches, especially, in in my opinion, was the match of the night, John Cena and AJ Styles. So to close it off here, Monday Night Raw from Monday Night. We only got about a little less than 10 minutes left, so I'll kind of rush through a review here. Not go through every match, but the top highlights. Um, I just mentioned it. Triple threat match confirmed for Battleground for the WWE World WWE Championship. SummerSlam comes early. WrestleMania, in fact, comes early. Dean Ambrose defends against Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. So here's the thing. We were talking all about this, you know, right after the pay-per-view went off the air on Sunday night. I wish they would hold off on doing the triple threat until SummerSlam. But that's it, because it is deserving of a bigger stage than frickin' Battleground, which is not a bad show. The, the, the 2013 show is awful, but 2014 and 2015 Battleground was good. Um, but in terms of, you know, in holding the match, it deserves a bigger stage. We've been waiting for this match for almost four or five years. When the Shield joined forces uh, four years ago, we've been waiting for this match. So again, I really would have rather seen it waited until SummerSlam or WrestleMania. But as many people pointed out on Twitter and, and, ever, and everywhere else, it wouldn't surprise me that they're holding this now just because I feel like all three guys might be or very likely will be split up in the draft. You know, two of these guys are obviously bound to end up on the same show. There's only two shows. But not all three. The, the fact that all three guys could end up on the same show is very unlikely. So they got to do the match now. Again, I would have waited until WrestleMania, but the story makes sense to do it now. It would have made no sense for Jericho or for rather for Ambrose to move forward into a into another feud with freaking I don't know Kevin Owens or something for the championship without addressing the rematch stipulation with Rollins and and, uh, and Roman Reigns with Reigns and Rollins. You needed to do the triple threat match after what we saw on Sunday night. I would have booked it differently. I would have waited until SummerSlam, but I get you know that the draft is coming up on the nineteenth. All three guys will probably be split up, so they want to get the match over with now. And they could always have a future rematch at a future WrestleMania down the line, which is completely fine. So is it too soon? Yes. But as they've been saying, as I said on Twitter, um, it is a little disappointing they're doing it now. But but it does make sense. They're not doing it out of nowhere. They're not holding it on Raw. It's not, you know, a big four pay-per-view as it should be. But that being said, it should be great regardless. All three guys have a legitimate claim to the championship. Um, it closed out a great Money to Make pay-per-view on Sunday night with their whole, you know, the, the title changing hands twice and Reigns beating, you know, Reigns losing to Seth Rollins and, you know, in clean fashion, but Rollins having a rematch and Reigns still having a rematch and a lot of, you know, great components and factors. You couldn't have booked a better triple threat match. So again, I just wish the July pay-per-view did not exist. The same reason why I think that the February pay-per-views are just so pointless that it should just be the June show and then spending the rest of the summer, maybe a live special here and there. But you do not need to have a full-on pay-per-view before SummerSlam. I just feel like it's so pointless. Not that the battleground is ever really that bad. 2013 sucked, but that was not even in the summer. That was in the fall. 2014 and 2015 weren't bad. It's just that they set up so many predictable things for SummerSlam that the pay-per-view itself was just kind of pointless. So, again, 
Um, I'm looking forward to the match. It should be great. So I know it's a little too soon. Um, I can't be nitpicky, but as the optimist that I am, I want to think that this match will be great. It absolutely should and, and can and will be great. So I can't wait for it. And it will make for a uh, phenomenal main event to what should be a stacked Battleground card right before SummerSlam, which, like I said before, I will be in attendance for, so maybe we see a rematch at the biggest blockbuster of the summer. Who knows? But again, to answer everyone's question, yes, is it too soon to hold the match? Absolutely. But we got to make the most of what we got and just look forward to what we will have at Battleground come July. I think it's July 24th. All in the WWE Network. Cannot wait for that long-awaited, highly-anticipated triple threat match between all former S.H.I.E.L.D. members Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins. So as for the rest of Raw, before we close it out here, I thought overall it was a really good show. Um, I could see why some people were disappointed there wasn't a hot of a show, but I mean, can you really go wrong? I mean, we had John Laurinaitis come back, which I didn't care for whatsoever. I know some people did. I don't give a shit about the guy, but I know they're bringing people back, and it did not surprise me just because they brought back Teddy Long, and then Corporate Kane, and then Laurinaitis is still the company. He's still at every show anyway backstage, so why not bring him out, you know? So that made sense. We, all, we also had the returns of Sasha Banks after the Women's Championship match, which I thought was really, really good. Um, the long-awaited return of Sasha Banks, which, again, a match they could do at Battleground. I feel, I feel like it's way too soon. To do Banks and Sa- uh, uh, Banks and Banks and Sasha, Banks and Charlotte for uh, for Battleground, they should wait until SummerSlam. But they could do a triple threat with Paige or a fatal four-way way or a five-way with Paige, and also include, like I said earlier, Becky Lynch and Natalya, which I'd have no issue with either. So it should be good. I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad Sasha's back. It's been a long time coming. She's been you know floundering on superstars in main event and. I know people have been saying, oh, she's been buried. She's not been buried, people. The whole plan the entire time was to keep her off TV so people forget about her. So it's a bigger moment when she comes back to chase the championship. What the hell else was she going to do? They're going to put her on a few. Summer Rae, which I know was the plan at some point, but Summer Rae means nothing. No one would have given a shit. Maybe if Emma was still around, we could have seen that. That would have been cool. But Emma got hurt. So that wasn't happening. So anyway... Um, I thought it was good. Uh, I'm glad to see Sasha back. I'm looking forward to seeing what she, how she kind of plays into the women's championship picture as the summer officially gets underway. We also had the return of the Wyatt family last night on Raw, targeting the WWE tag team titles. Apparently, uh, came out to a star reaction, a lot like Sasha did. So, like I said with Sasha, people are saying, "Oh, she's being buried. They're keeping her off TV because they want to hold her down. They're waiting until the perfect moment to bring her back, and it paid off. The crowd went nuts when her music hit last night." The Wyatt family, same thing. They treated these guys like stars. I don't really want to see the Wyatt family be heels again. I feel like they're just long overdue for a face turn. People really want to cheer and like these guys. But a feud with the New Day as polar opposites as two as the two teams are, it could be interesting. The Wyatt family have never held gold in WWE. Um, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan were one-time NXT Tag Team Champions. But other than that, Bray Wyatt has never held the championship. Braun Strowman's never held gold. You know, Harper and uh, Rowan have never held gold on the main roster, and they should have two years ago. They should have beaten the Usos for the belt in retrospect, considering they dropped the belts to fucking gold and stardust anyway on, you know, fucking net of champions. But anyway, um, so I think that's going to be a really, really good match, and hopefully we see... I don't know if we could do a, a, a trios match at Battleground between the Wyatt family and New Day. That'd be pretty cool. I want to see Bray in a bigger role, and I feel like he will be, you know, after the draft. The guy should be a top star in either show. Um, but it was cool to see him back. The crowd was hot for his return. The Fireflies were out in full form last night in Phoenix. So uh, that was a great return. But like overall, like I said, I thought it was a really good show. Um, I thought the club and Cena segment was solid per usual. Enzo and Cass versus the Vaude Villains was what it was. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens having another really, really good match. Sami Zayn finally getting this big win over Kevin Owens. That feud is not yet over, it looks like. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Ultimate Rematch, maybe a Battleground or SummerSlam or whatever. Like I said earlier, the Rusev and O'Neal little thing was all right. The women's title match was great. So uh, overall, really, really good show and a great main event too. I already talked about you know how that we have a triple threat match at the next pay per view, a Battleground between the former Shield members. But I forgot to mention that we had a number one contenders match on this show between Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins that ended in a double countout. But the match itself was awesome on the level of their match from Money in the Bank, and these two work very well together, obviously, which is. You know, needless to say, but they have awesome chemistry with one another. And they had another great main event last night on Raw. So closing out very another enjoyable edition of Raw on Monday night. And uh, set the stage for what should be a stellar summer season in WWE. I've said it on end for weeks now that from the draft to what should be a loaded SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar competing not only in WWE but at UFC 200 as well. Which I heard over the weekend that he's going to be using his WWE entrance music, which is freaking cool. So that's going to be great. Uh, Money in the Bank. We got Battleground coming up. NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Balor Nakamura. The impending call-ups. The draft. The brand split. Everything that's going on right now in WWE. It's going to be a stacked summer season. I can't wait for it. And I always love the summer season in WWE. It's always great. But it seems like now more than ever do we have what will be a, uh, a really exciting summer season. And the past couple of summers have been awesome. And it's going to be hard to top. But this one really has all the makings from... Cena and AJ to the WWE title picture to Dean Ambrose finally holding the WWE title to everything else, the return of the Wyatt family, and hopefully sooner rather than later, you know, Orton and Neville and whoever else, uh, we will see uh, a lot of these guys start to come back in full form. We saw Sasha Banks come back last night as well, and the women's division finally starting to pick up again. So, uh, again, the last couple of summers in WWE have been great, but I feel like this summer in particular has all the makings of, you know, to be the best summer in a long, long time, if not ever, for the company. So I look forward to that. Um, but that is WrestleRant Radio, folks, for June 21st, 2016. As always, thank you for listening. I appreciate your support of the show, of me and my work and everything else. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for the next month, anyway, of new episodes on Tuesdays of WrestleRant Radio before we move live, not live, but rather we move to Thursdays to review not only the pay-per-views and Raws, but also NXT and SmackDown from Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So WrestleRant Radio and moving to Thursdays, a month from today on July 21st, we will start to break down NXT and SmackDown in addition to Raw and the pay-per-views. Like today, I spent pretty much the entire show talking about the podcast and the pay-per-view and a little bit about Raw. When it comes time when SmackDown is on Tuesdays, and we also have NXT too, maybe I won't talk about NXT, who knows? And maybe I'll start talking about Lucha Underground too. Or maybe we move the show to two hours or an hour and a half. I guess we'll have to, you know, only time will tell. We'll find out when we get to that point in a month from now. But just save the date, July 21st, WrestleRant Radio, WrestleRant Radio for the first time ever. Switches dates for the first time since we, you know, started the show three years ago. It is on the move, making the move to Thursday nights starting July 21st, a month from today. So anyway, guys, until next time, you can check me out on all the socials, on Twitter, at WrestleRant, on Facebook, at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, uh, on YouTube as well, new clips, new Q&A videos, random video blogs, WrestleRant editions, clips of WrestleRant Radio, and everything else going up all the time at GrahamGSMMatthews, YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham G.S. and Matthew. Subscribe, like, comment, share, and all the videos and all that kind of stuff. Very much appreciated. Like I said, guys. And also, oh, by the way, before we go off the air, um, check out the website itself that you're listening to this very show on, nextairwrestling.net. My written review of Money in the Bank is up, of Raw is up. Check out that stuff and also my reviews to come. This coming week of SmackDown, NXT, Lucha Underground, Main Event Superstars, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, and everything else in between. So until next time, guys, I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews. Have a stellar summer, and I'll catch you folks down the road.